you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy Hellman. hello there it is so great to be back in the states i can't even tell you i mean yes i miss france the weather was perfect every day perfect it was stunningly beautiful um there was like not too much heat, not too much cool. It was just a really great, um, inspiring experience. Of course, you guys know that for half the time I was um, saying goodbye to my French mom who was so, so instrumental in me becoming an interior designer, but also in my development as an early teen and just, you know, my love of all things French and she was just so generous and in so many ways so special. And that was a really challenging part of the trip. But the last four days of the trip, my husband and I got to have a baby moon in Paris. And with all of our babies, we've baby mooned in Paris. And it's just such an amazing place to do that because, you know, you can walk everywhere or you can subway everywhere. You can sit down and have a drink. I mean, we probably sat down four or five times a day and just had a drink and read a book. Luckily, we've both been to Paris so many times that there's not a lot that we need to do. I used to live in Paris when I went to the Sorbonne. Um, I've seen the Louvre. I've seen the Eiffel Tower. I've seen the Arc de Triomphe. I've seen all of it. And so it's nice to have absolutely zero agenda. I started reading this book, um, My Life with Picasso, which was written by one of his girlfriends of a decade. And it was such a compelling book. I mean, I just couldn't put it down. And so I felt I had to go to the Picasso Museum, even though I'm not truly a fan of his work. Uh, and certainly the book shows a lot of his character flaws and sort of his treatment of women and all those things that make him a controversial figure. But I really found a new appreciation for his work in this book because she shares a lot of his artistic philosophies. And I thought so many of them were really poignant as a former painter, but also as an interior designer and artist. Uh, his philosophies, the way he described how he makes work, why he makes work through her book, I found 
to be learning from a master teacher. At the same time, then he's a total dog to her and treats her like crap. But um, getting those morsels and then going to the Picasso Museum, again, even though I'd been several times before, I saw everything with just this new appreciation that was this double-edged sword and the fact that I appreciated him even more as an artist and appreciated him a little bit less as a human. Does that make sense? Anyway, I'm going to share all those things that I thought were so compelling, as well as some trends I saw on the streets of Paris that I think are really translating to interior design. I'm going to be sharing that all in my bonus episodes. I'm going to be releasing four bonus episodes, and at least two of those will be totally devoted to what I saw in Paris and what was inspiring me in Paris, because Every day I walked between 12 and 16,000 steps. Luckily, I have an amazing husband who, when we would get back to the hotel, would give me a foot and ankle rub because they were so inflated. Is that the word? What is that word? Swollen. That's the word. They were so swollen that um, twice during the day I would have to untie my tennis shoes to make them looser because, uh, you know pregnancy. What can you do? And plus, I don't generally walk even 10,000 steps a day. I mean, that's aspirational, but I'm lucky if I get between three and seven. So to be six and a half months pregnant and be hoofing it uh, was first of all delightful because like I said, we would stop every 40 minutes and I would have a soda water with syrup, banana syrup, peach syrup, strawberry syrup. And my husband would have a diet soda and I would read my Picasso book and he would play Star Wars video games and ultimately read his book. And it was just wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, But I'll tell you so much more in those premium episodes. But I do want to, did I already say, you know, I've got a pregnancy brain. I don't know. Did I already say thank you to those of you who reached out, sent me emails about my French mom and that experience and condolences? I'm very grateful to those messages. Um, Yeah, sometimes this podcast becomes a little stream of consciousness because I'm alone in my cottage recording, talking to you, Uh, but you're not talking back. So sometimes I just go there and I go to places that may or may not seem relevant. Um, And I don't even remember what I've said when I turn off the microphone. So to hear that what I said touched you or resonated with you in some way was very meaningful. All right. Let me, without further ado, dig into your questions. My first question this week has come in from Kara. And Kara writes, Hi, Betsy. As always, thank you for your amazing podcast. By the way, she's writing from Salt Lake City, Utah. My question is about chairs you can buy online. What is a good go-to source or two for high-quality chairs and upholstered armchairs? I haven't liked the quality of the ones I've experienced in Wayfair, Overstock, or Amazon, so I'd love your insight on finding chairs online that are shipped quickly and are great quality. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about it. I have two thoughts about chairs. Some chairs are very important and you need to be very comfortable and you need to be able to sit back, relax, read the New York Times, have coffee. It is the chair. Whether it's the chair in half that you snuggle with one of your kids and read a book in, whether it's that 
Sunday paper, snuggling up, which I do, um, with a cup of coffee and a chocolate croissant from Trader Joe's. Oh my gosh, if you haven't, run and go get those. They rival those of Paris. And I can say that with authority because I was just there. Um, or sometimes a side chair is just a cute object, is just sort of an accessory in the room. And that accessory in the room is meant for guests or just additional seating, but it's not really the primary seating in the space. So for me, those are the two types of chairs, armchairs that is. When we're looking for that very important chair, New York Times, uh, cuddling with kids, the recliner to watch all your shows. When it's that very important comfort chair, I would not order it at an online-only store. I would go somewhere where I could actually sit and experience this chair in person. My favorite go-tos for chairs are Room and Board and Crate and Barrel. They are a little bit pricier, and I totally understand people's hesitations, but you've told me by selecting armchair option A that this is a very important piece in your room and you want to be super comfortable, and I would personally never buy a sofa without sitting on it, so I'm also not going to buy a very important armchair without sitting on it. If it's more column B, and this is decorative and pretty and maybe a conversation piece, but really it's not going to be always lived in. I love TOV furniture, T-O-V furniture. Um, of course, you can spend a little bit less. And so TOV has great prices. A lot of their stuff is sold at Anthropology for a lot more. So that's why I love going directly to the source and going to TOV furniture. Uh, additionally, I do love Anthropology's armchairs. They are pricey, but they are not always super comfortable, but they are those conversation pieces that you can just look at while you're seated on the sofa. The other place I would go to, hmm, depends what kind of statement I'm trying to make with these chairs. I mean, West Elm has pretty good chairs. I don't love their sofas, but I do really like their chairs. I've had good experiences. Um, And I also think if you're willing to just kind of take your shot, Grand and Road is really nice. I like their quality. Of course, you can't sit on that in person. But if your armchair option B, I think I would look there because they have really good prices and I think good quality for the prices. So that gives you a few places to get started, Kara. Please let me know what you wind up with. I'd love to hear what you ultimately buy. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. 
And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right, let's get to my next question, which comes from Cindy. Cindy is writing all the way from Blind Bay, British Columbia, Canada. Cindy says, hi, Betsy. I sure do appreciate and love your show. I've been following you for years now. This is not the first time I've submitted a question. You've helped me solve my design dilemma, and now I'm back for more of your practical advice. Well, I am really glad to hear that, Cindy. Guys, even if you've submitted a question before, don't be bashful. Submit again. Let me know what happened, whether you took my advice or not with a previous question, if you have a new dilemma that's popped up. You know, I know that our homes are not static places where nothing changes. Things wear out or things, you know, have to shift. Yeah, I'm just like in baby mode. So, you know, the things that I thought I was going to buy for my living room, a glass coffee table, because I haven't really used that element much and these different things, I totally can't do that anymore because baby on the way. Uh, So, you know, you might be running into similar challenges where your rooms need to evolve, which evokes more questions. And that's what I'm here for. Just head to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast to submit your question. All right, Cindy, let's get back here. We have completed a major home renovation that began in January. Right now, all that is left is my kitchen backsplash. I am struggling with this decision and my hubby is patient somewhat for me to finalize my decision. Our kitchen is U-shaped with cream thermofoil cabinets, and I do not want to paint them. The countertop is aspen white quartz. It will take 60 square feet of backsplash tile in this narrow kitchen. I thought cream and white tile would pull the two colors together, but I simply cannot find any cream and white tile that I like. So I have decided to explore other options. What do you think would work in this space? Please help. I have included one picture of the rest of our open concept space. This picture was taken from the kitchen and I am not done decorating yet, but am working on a cozy beach house style. All right. Well, these pictures are very helpful. So when we look out into this main room from the kitchen, I'm seeing a lot of transitional style. And the reason I'm calling it transitional, well, I don't know. Is it transitional? Is it eclectic or is it traditional? Several of these pieces look like they might authentically be antiques, like the blue sofa with the ornate legs, the wooden frame, but this really beautiful sort of um, baby blue velvet. And then you have a cream wingback chair, and then you have two floral sort of chintz wingback chairs. And then you have spindle dining chairs at a circular table. Hmm. Maybe I'm going to say this style is traditional, but when I say the style of this room is traditional, then when I look in the kitchen, it's very contemporary. You have shaker style cabinets in a pure white. You have sort of this natural wood floor, almost kind of a white oak floor. Uh, You have stainless steel appliances, and I'm not seeing any sort of traditional elements in here. 
I am feeling very disconnected in these two open rooms. Here's what I would suggest. The first thing that I would suggest is that I would replace these knobs on the cabinet with a handle. And the handle could be your sort of foray into bridging the gap between this traditional living room or family room, whatever you're calling this open concept space, and the kitchen. So picking a handle that has a little bit more ornamentation, picking a handle that maybe has a ceramic element as well as a metal element, just picking a handle that kind of softens these shaker style cabinets that are so stark white, I think would really help. Also, I could see doing like an indoor-outdoor rug on the floor because not only do you have a nice kind of open space there, but also I think that that could be a nice way to soften this space that feels so contemporary, almost cold because it's sort of stark in its way. And the other half of the space doesn't feel that way at all. So I could see bringing in like um, sort of an overdyed Persian rug or something that kind of harkens back to a more traditional patterned rug. So that way it really ties in the other space. You'd also want it to be pretty heavily patterned because we don't want to show stains or it needs to be something that's easy to clean. And it also needs to pull the colors from that family room area into this area. That brings me to your actual question, Cindy. Yes, I was going to get there eventually. Your actual question is what should I do with this backsplash? And more white and more cream is just going to make it feel more stark and less cohesive with the rest of the space, in my humble opinion. I think you need to do something that's a little bit softer in terms of its edges, uh, that doesn't feel so um, geometric or it's not the geometric that's bothering me. It's like hard right angles. If you do do something like a subway tile, I'd want it to look hand glazed. I'm looking to bring some of those older world elements that we have in the other room in here. And I would choose to go with a tile that has a lot of curves, like maybe an arabesque tile. My tile from my previous house would look beautiful in here if you're going to keep that pale blue sofa in the other room. Because I had Home Depot arabesque tile in like this porcelain blue. And the colors of blue varied from tile to tile, but it all looked hand glazed. It was so affordable. And it made a huge impact. It would look great with these white cabinets. Uh, I think a pop of color is really needed to merge the two spaces so that this starts softening and drawing in the rest of the space. Yes, Cindy, I've solved your problems. There you go. Uh, but, you know, this is what we want to be thinking about, guys, when we're designing an open concept space is the areas really do need to talk to each other, especially an architectural area like a kitchen. My kitchen is very traditional, very traditional. And it has like, I don't know, imported faucets from Germany that look old and sort of patinaed. It has these... um sort of bell jar cloche pendants. It has um, crown molding at the top. It's two-tone and the fact that the tops are like an ivory off-white. Actually, the bottoms, excuse me, are the ivory off-white and the tops are a wood tone. Uh, and, you know, when I selected furniture for my Eden kitchen, 
I had to pick pieces that were very transitional so that they would flow with the rest of the kitchen, even though my pieces in the rest of the room, I merge antiques with mid-century modern. I did not do that in this room because everything architecturally was so loud, so traditional that I needed to just lean in hard with some transitional. Cindy, that's what I'm asking you to do, is I'm asking you to make the architecture of this kitchen um, either more integrated into the other room by adding contemporary elements or allowing the other room to sort of visually bleed into this room, depending on which aesthetic you're going for. If you're kind of done with that more traditional aesthetic and those are just hand-me-downs, then maybe we need to move contemporary pieces in there. If you really love the look of that other space, which I personally find very warm and inviting, you need to bring those elements in here. Okay, I have one other question I wanted to answer, and this is not actually a submission that came in from the podcast. This is a friend who writes me. So guys, if you're an interior designer, you know, or even if you have an eye for interior design, quote unquote, and people love your house, they're probably asking you design questions on the regular. I know that people from all my past lives ask me questions and I do love to help them. Well, from my past life as a cater waiter at an organic catering company that I actually hired to cater my own wedding, uh, one of my fellow cater waiters is friends with me on Facebook, and she asked me a question that I think would help all of you. So Denise wrote in and she said, I am having a great time and oh, well, she's traveling. She's traveling okay, for work. I'm having a great time and I'm socking away some money in preparation for a planned renovation of my studio apartment in Queens, New York. I know that your expertise is home decor, but perhaps your project planning skills can lend themselves to advice on my situation. What started out as plans for a modest kitchen reno has expanded into plans for a kitchen, bathroom, and new flooring throughout the space project. Right now, I am in the dreaming and Pinterest phase, and I haven't a clue as to really how to proceed. I have a contractor in mind who's done several apartments in my finicky co-op. So he is known and accepted by the building and has a track record with them. Can you give me advice on the next steps to take? Do I tell him my plans and then ask for an estimate? Do I give him my budget and have him tell me how much he can do for that much? Can I get him started when I'm home in July and then again in September, but have the work actually done while I'm away traveling? I'm on my own and I have never done anything like this. Thanks for any advice you can share. I appreciate it so much, Denise. Well, Denise, it is great to hear from you, as you already know. I responded to you in Facebook, but like I said, I want my listeners to maybe learn from your questions as well. So one thing that I would say is that I would ask for a quote on sort of the different elements of your project. So instead of one overall quote, I would ask for a quote for the kitchen, quote for the bathroom, quote for the flooring. It broken down into three pieces so you could choose really what you want to do. But also, I wouldn't show him my cards. I wouldn't say I have this much to spend. I would instead inquire about what his quote would be, but I'd also let him know that I'm getting other quotes from other vendors. And then I would actually do that. Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, this is a finicky co-op. I'm going to have to get approvals. I don't want to use somebody that's not familiar with our building. Well, I'm sure that the management company and being 
on the board of a former finicky co-op myself, I can tell you with pretty, you know, confidence, pretty good confidence that there are multiple contractors who have worked in your building, different companies that have been approved and that could easily pass through the board approval again due to their knowledge of your building and due to the fact that they've already been pre-approved. So I would get multiple quotes. Now, personally, I always like three quotes and I let the companies know that I will be, you know, inquiring with others so that they give me something competitive rather than this guy just thinking he has a monopoly on your building, right? And that you'll just go with whatever he says because he's the most commonly used. I would also want to check out his previous work in your building. So you can ask the management company or you can post something in the lobby that says, you know, I'm thinking of hiring this guy. Could I come see the work that he's done in your unit? And that way you can actually feel, touch, and get a sense of what he's done. Then once you get those quotes, my advice would be to, you know, this is just my advice not leave them alone to do the work while you're away. Because so many times I see contractors who are working while the client is away because of course that's really convenient, right? You have a place to stay. You're out of their hair. Um, they can be as noisy and messy and whatever because you're not actually living there. But if you don't have somebody professional or somebody who knows what the end goal is, like the client, uh, supervising them, how many times have I seen them lay the tile the wrong way? How many times have I seen them have questions and then feel like they couldn't reach out to you or it was just too much hassle and then they just do something that really is, you know, out there and not ideal? Now, keep in mind, I'm a micromanager with these projects. I have a strong vision. I know what I'm looking for. I know how I like it. Um, I'm going to be on them with the timeline. You might be more flexible and laid back, but it's really hard to ensure that the work is getting done in a good, efficient way and getting done properly unless you can check in at least once every one to four days. I would not let it go more than four days without seeing what's up. Because I remember one time they were redoing my floors and um, I went away. I, I wasn't living there, but I like emptied everything out, you know, and you leave them alone. You don't check in because it all sort of happens in one day with redoing the floors and they used the wrong stain color the wrong stain color. It was not what I specified. And I come in the next day and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like practically ebony. And I did like a mid-tone brown, like a kind of ashier walnut. What is going on? And so the more you can be there, the sooner you can catch these issues. Because if you don't catch them quickly and the contractor's already cleaned up his work, his team is already gone, you're going to have a very hard time getting him back in there. I can tell you that. So you want to be able to quickly catch the issue, quickly give the feedback so that they immediately make a correction or don't make a mistake in the first place. 
Guys, renovations can be so complicated, but actually I do help with renovations all the time at my firm. What we do is we pick out the pretty stuff. We pick out the tile, the vanity cabinets, the light fixtures, the floor stain, all of that. We just don't manage the contractors because like I said, you have to be on site all the time. And if you want us to be on site for you, that's just kind of a steep day rate, right? For us to stop by all the time, even though it can be worth it if you absolutely can't be there or you want that micromanaging expert eye. I'll walk in and in two seconds be able to sum up what's going on, how it's going, what they've missed. It's very important. All right, everyone. Well, I hope that this has been an informational show for you guys. I'll be back again next week. And, um, Thanks for being listeners. I really appreciate you. Until then, bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.